0: I'm Kendra Winchester here with Jacqueline Masters and this is Reading Women, a podcast inviting you to reclaim the bookshelf and read the world. Today we're talking about our discussion picks, The Transition Baby and Fairest. And you
1: can find a complete transcript of this episode on our website readingwomenpodcast.com and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode.
0: I am so thrilled to talk about these two books today, and if you missed it, we, in our first episode for this month's theme, talked about four books, and then our guests talked about two books, and so there are a lot more books to check out if you haven't already listened to that episode.
1: Lots of books. We are very excited to be sharing um, books by trans women for Women's History Month, uh, so ch- definitely check out the show notes of that episode if you're looking for some additional recommendations too.
0: We also have our Patreon newsletter, our contributing editor, Ruth Ann, uh, She primarily works on our internal communication to organize all of our different team members, but she also does our Patreon newsletter and usually has extra recommendations as well as other news items um, because oftentimes... Months share themes with other things. So June is a very popular month for different things. For example, and there's lots of different um, initiatives going on. And so sometimes she'll cover that. Sometimes she'll cover audiobooks. There's usually a photo of her dog Ted, who is a a Westie. He's adorable. He's like the grumpiest old man. I love him. Like he um, and I relate on a very deep level. <laughs>
1: Ruth Ann does such a terrific job. I feel like with us opening up the podcast to looking more internationally and more broadly about what we um, profile and reading the world. And I feel like Ruthann's doing a terrific job of incorporating that in our uh,
0: Patreon newsletter. Definitely. And, and since a lot of her work's on the on the back end, like behind the scenes, um, I feel like she definitely does not get as much credit as she deserves. She does an amazing job keeping us all like, I don't know that we understand each other and that we understand where, what's going on at one time. Cause there's so many team members now. Yeah. Definitely check her out on Instagram.
1: Her handle is definitely RA. Give her a follow and check out her own recommendations directly too.
0: We also have our regular newsletter, which goes out every week. And every other week is our in most anticipated releases uh, newsletter. And so we feature books that are coming out in the first half or the second half of the month, depending on what newsletter you happen to stumble upon. And uh, that's a lot of fun. We have reviews from different team members, um, all sorts of things.
1: Yes, you'll definitely want to subscribe so you don't uh, miss any of those updates that we share on there too. There's only so much we can cover on the podcast each month. So we try and pack more resources into that newsletter too. So it's definitely worth checking out.
0: We also announce our discussion books in the newsletter as well. So you'll get a little heads up so you can go grab those and have time to read them um, before the discussion episode goes up. Well, those are all the updates that I had. So I guess it's time to just jump into our discussion.
1: Mm. So the first book that we're going to be talking about today is Fairest by Meredith Toluson. This one is out from Viking. Uh, and Kendra and I both listened to the audio version, which is actually narrated by Meredith herself. Uh, and... As we spoke about last episode, this is a memoir and a coming-of-age narrative looking at Toulouse's experience from growing up as a boy with albinism in a Philippine village uh, and talking a lot about experiences early in life with uh, abusive parents in both a physical and an emotional sense, so trigger warnings if um, that's something that um, you need to be aware of. Um, there's also a lot that she shares about her experience early on being a child TV star in the Philippines, which I found really fascinating. And I think it was done in a way that really brought in some really complex discussions that uh, she was then able to elaborate on with, um, for example, her experience moving to the US and um, studying at Harvard. Um, but I, th- I think this is an incredible book for looking at so many different intersections of Toulousin's identity, um, you know, reflections on issues like class and academic privilege, uh, but also looking at queer identity and sexuality uh, and disability, um, love. You know, there was just so much packed into this. I think it's a really terrific book for um, yeah, engaging with so much um, experiences, so many experiences that Toulousin's had over her life.
0: Yes, the intersectionality in this book is incredible. I, I felt like the story of her life was really well-rounded in a way that we start with her experience growing up in the Philippines as, um, I believe it's called Sunchild. Is that right? Sunchild. Yeah, that was the, the word she used, yeah. So uh, being a person with albinism growing up in the Philippines and the privilege that, you know, her perceived whiteness gave her um, as a, you know, being read as a as a boy in the Philippines. And uh, that was just fascinating to learn and to read. And I feel like that set up a context so that when Meredith goes to Harvard and starts attending there and engages with the very elite culture there, that it helped contextualize the experience that she was having. And I think it sets up a lot of that
1: This, this, the way of looking at whiteness as being proximate or in some cases being equated to Americanness. Um, There's so many discussions, you know, of the early time in her life where she's looking at all these internalized observations that she took from society about American identity being such a great thing and something to aspire to, um, and how that was something that she'd self internalized in her own you know growing up experience but also just the way that so much of American identity is synonymized with being white and white identity and I think it's interesting the angle that she takes with it because of her experience with albinism for example and the way that when she arrived at Harvard people would assume that she was a white person um and you know existing within those very white spaces and that the sort of privileges that that afforded, as well as the sort of assumptions that people would make about her as a person um, because of that, um, which, you know, erased other parts of her identity. Uh, but there was also this really interesting part later in the narrative where she was talking about her art and photography work that she was doing and one of her first projects that she was looking at was a a macro photography study of sorts where she was taking photos of things like cream cheese with a macro lens and looking at whiteness as a theme in a very literal sense in, in an image form um, so I found a lot of those discussions and how much she'd set up that early writing of the memoir really informed that and allowed it to come out in a really complex way and it was just such a well-developed exploration throughout the whole memoir. Like I think Kendra, it was something you you were commenting on earlier as well, that the sort of interrogation of this and how it's so well set up early on.
0: Yeah. And I find it really interesting how, you know, her parents would say, you know, that because of her whiteness, um, because of her albinism that she would succeed and to be, and would be American. And I just found that really fascinating. And there's this moment where she has just come, you know, to Harvard and, and she's, I think it's her, like her, her first year. And there's like some sort of like queer mixer that she attends. I can't remember who it was that walks up to her, but, uh, this guy comes up and says, Oh, you're you you know, you have albinism, don't you? And and this was the first person to actually ask Meredith that question at Harvard because most people just read her as white and this man was um, you know, a, a person of color and said, oh yeah, I recognize that a lot of these white people might not notice, but I noticed. And it was this moment of unsurety um, that this um, balance of her existence as being read as white. And it really started that look into passing and what passing means, both in, you know, being a a Asian person with albinism, but also, you know, being a trans woman and what that would mean for her later in her life. And I thought that theme was really well written throughout the book. Mm. And I think like following on from that, I think
1: one of the other things that I thought was so well developed in connection with that was the way that class and academic privilege was written. And there was a scene where she is talking about a paper she's writing on Shakespeare for one of her classes, and she's talking to her father about it, and he makes some comment about, oh, I, let me read it, I can help you with it. And she says, no, I, I don't need your help. Um, and the response that he gives is something about, you know, if if I was white, I could go to Harvard. And this sort of, there was so much nuance in the way that she wrote that exchange with her father that... Um, really drew on so many of those implied privileges and the sort of elitism that whiteness affords and very specific to obviously the experience at Harvard but the way that I guess her her family had internalized um, that perception too and what they were projecting onto her
0: yeah the, the, her her experience at Harvard was really fascinating because you know Harvard is as is mentioned several times in the memoir, like the best university in the world, but I think what it really represents is the white ideal um in a lot of ways, the most privileged white people in the world go to that university, and so I found that very fascinating the way that Meredith interacts with that as you know she's living as a gay Asian man uh, and Filipino man at at the university but was often read as white by white people. And and there's just so many layers. There's so many intersections of her identity that came into play um, at this university that is supposed to be like this liberal bastion of open-mindedness. But in reality, um, it wasn't actually that way. And the complications of interacting with these very rich, very privileged white people Um, it it was just really interesting to see that play out in Meredith's life and the way that she wrote it to illustrate that privilege and her proximity to that based on having albinism and what that means for her Mm. and I think there
1: was a part of the memoir where she's writing about her first performance art uh, a play that she's um, performing herself where she she talks about that a lot and being in spaces where she's almost being censored by what the university will fund, uh, what they will allow to be performed, um, that I thought was a really interesting conversation, that whole
0: part of the memoir. Yeah. That, that, that uh, particular performance art piece stays in my mind Mm. so much because it was a point where she was beginning to, slowly beginning to understand that her feelings about gender and about her own sexuality were much more complex than she had originally thought. Um, So the first semester that she's at Harvard, she takes this, she's accepted into this very like, high-level prestigious course on the history of LGBT folks of some variety. And so when you have that, and then later on, closer to the end of her time at Harvard, she has this performance piece, she takes a different approach to it. And I think that moment for me really signaled that change that she was beginning to understand that her understanding of gender and sexuality was changing than what she had originally thought when she had arrived at Harvard and you know that really started that post Harvard section but it was something that was like oh yes okay she's beginning to understand that that it's more complex than just being a gay man there's some gender uh identity things that she needs to kind of figure out for herself in this and it was just—I don't know—it was just very well written. I think. Yeah, I, I think as well that part where
1: she starts writing about her relationship with Rafe, um, and how her love for him was was such a conflicting part of how she approached transition. And you know, there's there's so much complexity, and it's it's really really well explored
0: in that part of the book too you know, as she begins to f- dress more in an air quotes feminine style, uh, she starts it off as like a performance photography piece kind of thing that she wanted to explore that for the reasons of art, etc. But then she realizes that it's more than art, that this is she part of who she is, she thinks, and what that process looks like for her figuring that out. And it was something that I found really interesting because she and Rafe love each other so much and Rafe is trying to be open-minded, but he really is a gay man who loves other men. And so when Meredith realizes that she's not a man, it, so that you know that makes the relationship more complicated. And so there's a lot on the line for Meredith here at this moment. And um, I, I just really felt for her and how... She know she's almost having to choose choosing her true self versus choosing the person she loves most in the world and um I don't know at that moment it really hit me really hard. I had to take a moment to pause the audiobook and um just think about it for a second to process it yeah it's an incredible um
1: incredible decision so one of the things that gets commented on a lot of reviews of this book is that um Toulouse isn't, isn't focusing on the transition experience as sort of the, the prime point of the, the memoir and the experiences that she shares in, in that regard come quite late in the piece. There's so much about her life that she's sharing in this memoir and the, the, her experiences with transitioning um, are part of that very much so, but it's not the sort of
0: central part of what she's sharing in this memoir yeah, it's like the quote that you had last time of like her whole life is worth telling. Uh, and that, that's what she does is she talks about the intersections of her identity of, you know, being from the Philippines, being um, a person with albinism and, you know, being a trans woman. All of these things together make up who she is. And I felt that in this story of Ferris, she was telling the story of Meredith, not the story per se as much of focusing solely on her trans identity. She was focusing on all of herself as a person. And I think, you know, when we look at this and and look at where she is now, and, you know, she uses she, they pronouns, uh, she um, identifies as a non-binary trans woman. And so, her gender her gender identity has continued to develop over time and so i really appreciate the way that she kind of reflects that development as opposed to just focusing on the story of of transition because she's telling the story of herself not just this particular part of herself mm, that's such a great way of looking at it so that is Verist by meredith to out from viking And we'll be back with more from this episode of Reading Women after a word from our sponsor. The sponsor of this episode is FSAstore.com. So what is a flexible spending account, FSA, or health savings account, HSA? FSAs and HSAs are personal health funds where employees can put aside a portion of their income tax-free to save on thousands of eligible health and wellness expenses. So do you have an FSA? Looking for an easy, reliable way to spend your valuable healthcare dollars? Go to the FSAstore.com for all of your eligible essentials. Get ready for cold and flu season with medicine cabinet must-haves like Tylenol, Zyrtec, Children's Motrin, and more. Be prepared with at-home diagnostics with top products like our contactless thermometers, cold and allergy medications, on-the-go blood pressure monitors, and at-home COVID testing kits. With over 6,000-plus eligible items, FSA Store is the largest online site with 100% eligible products guaranteed. Whether customers have questions about their accounts, want recommendations on products or assistance on their orders, FSAstores.com's trained professionals are available 24-7. So to learn more about FSAstore.com, head over to their website, FSAstore.com, and check out all of their offerings. And thanks so much to them for sponsoring. And
1: Kendra, you have our second discussion book for today.
0: Yes, our second discussion pick is Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. And this is a debut novel out from One World. And this novel focuses on three characters. Uh, You have Ames, who has recently detransitioned from being a trans woman. His ex girlfriend, Reese, who he was together as um, a trans woman. And when he detransitioned, they broke up. Um, and you have Katrina, who is Ames' current girlfriend. And he didn't think that he could have children after taking hormones, but he apparently can because Katrina gets pregnant and he kind of doesn't know what to do with it, and so he doesn't know what to do with this idea of fatherhood that he's presented with, this very um, male role that kind of reengages the struggle with his gender identity in in that whole process of transitioning and detransitioning. So he goes to Reese and asks if she would be interested in being a third parent to the child so that you know, this really fits what he believes to be his queer identity um, and the role that he might play in this child's life. And that really is like the catalyst for the rest of the novel. Mm. And I think the fact that we get these jumps in perspectives and we hear
1: from both Ames and Reese or Ames um, and Amy, um, as they're known in other parts of the book, Um, I I found that a really interesting way of telling the narrative. And I think the structure really allowed that as well, like having each chapter being framed in jumps in time between when it's positioned relative to the conception of this pregnancy. I thought that was a really clever way to bring in structure into telling this story too.
0: Uh, This novel on a craft level is just so well written. The pacing is incredible. For me, it felt like a page turner. In addition to the, you know, serious look at this topic and, and really looking at this and diving deep into um trans identity, it's also just very well written and I, I was just really impressed with that out of the gate and then you also have all of these these complex themes around trans identity and detransitioning and what that looks like for Ames, um, and how Reese his ex girlfriend handles that. And one of the big things that we want to talk about for this book is how it centers trans lives. It really is here by a trans women for other trans individuals, and if cisgender people read it, that's great. You know, they're more more than welcome to do so but it really is focusing on trans identity yeah and I think there was something that um, Tori Peters shared in an interview about
1: there being so much intention behind not having Katrina's perspective be one that the reader is ever privy to and that being very intentional and not wanting to center that experience as being the narrative about pregnancy and parenthood that um, she wanted to share in this story. You know, there's so many other books that are written about that and other perspectives shared, um, you know, she really wanted something different with this space.
0: Yeah, and that it's just very it's very effective the way that that's handled, and we have these flashbacks back to Amy and Reese's experience knowing each other and meeting each other, and we learn their backstories, and then you also also have this present timeline where the three adults are trying to figure out their own parenting, what that might look like having three parents, and what a queer uh, family might look like in that way, and that's just something that I, there's this conversation we're where they're at this like um nonprofit like event gala situation and they're just like off in this corner having this discussion about queer parenting and what that might look like and I was like, this is amazing and I was actually playing a video game and I paused and because I was just so, you know, enraptured by this story that Link almost died <laughs> it because he got attacked by someone. I think that that is something that, that really draws you in as a reader is these really intense conversations about queer parenting and, and the real, you know, thought-provoking ideas that Reese brings up about motherhood and being a trans woman and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, and it really does decent to that um, kind of traditional way that motherhood and parenthood and, um, approaches to bringing a child into the world have been discussed in literature. And it's the, the way that it unfurls in this like non-linear style in itself is very important. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really effective within these sort of broader conversations was a very a specific scene where, um, I guess Katrina is coming to this realization when she's. Had, I think it's she's having a conversation with Reese, and Reese is explaining that cis women never have to explain why they want to become a mother or why they want to have children. You know, the conversation is very much why why don't they have children? You know, comparing that to this experience with the trans women have. Um, about having to justify why they want children, why they want to experience motherhood. And I I found that a really profound scene.
0: Yeah, it was very thought-provoking. And, you know, there's this moment where Amy and Reese go to this, you know, meeting about adoption and they look at all the different couples that have showed up to want to adopt and they're the only, you know, lesbian trans couple there. There, there's this whole conversation about whether or not they would be allowed to adopt a child and what that means for them. And I think that was just something that Tori Peters brought up in this book that really needs to be discussed and is something that was just very well laid out in that way. Yeah, I think that there's no like neatness to it. It's, yeah. it's complex and it's real
1: and it's interrogated in a really nuanced way, which I think is just missing from so many discussions about parenthood in this space. So I I thought it was impeccably done.
0: Yeah, I I was listening to Tori Peters on a podcast called The Beautiful, and she was talking about how she deeply related to divorced cisgendered women because they had been ejected from this ideal of a cisgendered man and cisgendered woman together in partnership and all this stuff, and that there was this like overlap of this like Venn diagram of a divorced cisgendered woman and trans women.
1: Yeah, she mentioned that in an interview with um, Books Are Magic as well, this Venn diagram, which I it was such a fascinating concept to think about, but it made so much sense in how she was particularly writing Katrina's character, for example. Um, I thought that was a really interesting, interesting point.
0: Yeah. Katrina is coming out of a divorce where she has had a miscarriage and she then, you know, starts a relationship with Ames. And so her divorce comes up repeatedly in the relationship, but then also her relationship with Reese as a possible third parent and that discussion there. And uh, I think that was really well laid out and such a sharp insight on Tori Peter's part. Yeah. Really well done. Another thing about this book is that, you know, with Ames, you have a particular discussion of detransition, which is a very taboo topic. And when I was listening to an interview with Tori Peters, she was very hesitant uh, at first to write about this topic, but there was something that she felt that was a discussion within the trans community and she wanted to center her those um, conversations that they were having. And so Ames is detransitioned and Ames's journey of gender identity is very unique in the way that he relates to trans women because he's kind of feels like he's n- no longer part of that space but he's also doesn't identify as cisgendered so like what what is he now where is his space and that is something that he's also dealing with while also looking at the you know potentially being a father or a parent depending on his approach to it yeah and that that using that word detransition um in this
1: book's some magic interview which we'll link to in the show notes if you want to watch it Um, She talks about very intentionally using that word and how weaponized it's become, um, but her choice to use it as a pun in the title um, and the the wordplay there. And um, it's a really interesting discussion. I really recommend you check it out. One one of the other things she talks about in that interview that I thought was really interesting was the use of the comma in the title and this this, being this like knife edge (laughs) um, that, you know, was her existence at very various points of her life, um, and I, I think that is so apt. It's such an apt comment when you look at the the, the breadth and scope of perspectives that um, she's she's putting into all three characters in this book, um, and then their comments on each other. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's a really fascinating title to to unpack that way too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was I was following along Roxane Gay's discussion in her newsletter, The Audacity, and that was something that a lot of people were talking about. And I really appreciated that a lot of trans folks were in that discussion talking about the book and how they related to the book and how they appreciated this very open and, and a messy look at trans identity because oftentimes cisgendered readers want things to be very clean cut and very like wrapped up with a little bow but that's not how identity works for anyone it's not life <laughs> right Right. And so it was very um, helpful to see that insight from commenters um, from a wide range of gender um, identities. And so I just really loved the way that this book is is starting conversations. It's opening things up. And I hope that kind of opens up the door for more trans narratives um, as well to present, you know, trans characters, including trans women, to be like fully fleshed out human beings. I think this book is such a not only just well-written book, but it just is really a a beautiful look at humanity, really. Yeah.
1: I'd I'd love to see more stories like this.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go pick up Tori Peters' novellas. She has several online, and this is her first full-length novel. So uh, that's very exciting. All right, so this is the Transition Baby by Tori Peters, and this is out from One World in the U.S. Um, and definitely go check out those links um, and check out Own Voices reviews and um, the various places we've mentioned. And we'll also try to link some of those in the show notes so that you can go check out um, those resources. Uh, well, those are our two discussion picks. It's such a great. And thoughtful pairing and to uh, look at you know trans women in in different ways both nonfiction and fiction and, and i just think these pair well together
1: yeah i'm i'm so glad i read them almost back to back because i think there's so much thematically that they're in conversation with and i think they're, they're such um interesting reads to consider together too
0: So we're very excited about these two books. Uh, Definitely share the trans women that you're reading this month with us over at The Reading Women on Instagram. I'm happy to share those. Um, This is really just a a small sampling of what's out there. So there's so many more books and we highly encourage you to go read even more books by trans folks and uh, to check those out because uh, there's so many great books and short stories and all sorts of creative projects coming um, from the trans community that we should definitely be supporting
1: lots of anthologies too which is um, yes. always a good thing
0: yeah we we uh we love a good anthology here We <laughs> <Me> do. <too. laughs> all right so Jacqueline where can people find you about the internet
1: so I am on Twitter Instagram and Booktube at six minutes for me and Kendra where can people find you
0: I'm at KD Winchester. That's K's and Kite, D and Dylan Winchester um, on all the things. And uh, you can find me there. All right. So that's our show. Many thanks to our patrons whose support makes this podcast possible. This episode was produced and edited by me, Kendra Winchester, with music by Mickey Saito with Isaac Green join
1: us next time when Kendra and Samai are going to be talking about cozy reads with us all. In the meantime, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. And thank you for listening.